One of the greatest secrets to spiritual growth and to continuous fruit bearing, as we've been studying over the last month or two, is a principle that seems almost contradictory to what is logical, to what makes sense in our minds. And yet, the concept is proven to be effective, not only in the spiritual realm, but also in the horticultural realm. What we know from farming and what we've seen about gardening over the last month and a half as we've gone through the series applies here. And, and this, is a, this is kind of an odd principle. It doesn't seem to make sense. And yet, it absolutely works, not only in terms of bearing fruit in the garden, but bearing fruit spiritually. Now, one of the things that we learn about life, and we probably really grasp it hard for the first time somewhere between maybe 16 and 22, is that change is a normal and necessary part of life. The problem is, at the time that realization first kind of hits us, it's not necessarily something we're particularly happy about. Then as we get older, we get kind of accustomed to it, but it still aggravates us a little bit, doesn't it? See our kids getting older too quickly, and we have something happen in our life that's unexpected, like a, a parent having a serious health problem, or a, a job changing, or some kind of financial crisis, or something that happens that, that brings in change. And while we know that's coming, and while we know it's, it's one of the necessary evils of life, it, it still kind of bugs us. But where it really gets down to being personal, where it really starts to to become very profound is when the change is a result of God's refining in our life, where it's a result of, of the work that he's doing, as the text is going to say in a moment, as the husbandman, as the guy who comes in and really does the aggressive work of gardening, if we can say that in our lives. So, so this is the time where God is testing us and trying our faith and, and refining us in some way. And, and at that point, usually depending on the maturity of our spiritual walk, that's where we feel the most tension. Because we know that James 1 tells us that this is beneficial toward us, it, it's for our completion, it's to make us more like Christ, but at the same time, we, we get a little bit uh, rubbed that we don't have the ability to change the situation how we might like. Sometimes if, if we have a health crisis or we lose a job, there are ways that we can work to, to change the situation. But when God is testing us, we can't always do that. And we may feel a little bit of that sense that the change wasn't really necessary and that maybe I didn't really need to learn what I think God's trying to teach me or, or maybe I didn't want to have the situation or need to have the situation altered from what I know. Now, we know the Lord's all wise. We know that he's never going to fail us or do anything that would be harmful or damaging to us, he never makes a mistake. But there's that little underlying sense of doubt and maybe even annoyance that creeps in that, that maybe the change has been a little too severe. Now, I felt a little bit of that doubt and annoyance a couple years ago. Came home from work one day and I found that Julie, my wife, my lovely wife of 22 years, had very aggressively taken the branch cutters to this huge red bush tree thing we have in our backyard. 
And, and I, I had left for work, and the thing was about 13, 14 feet high. It had beautiful red leaves. When I got home, it was just a bunch of stubby little branches cut in half, desperately reaching for the sky and knowing that they'd never get there. It was almost like a chia pet bush, except I don't remember that there were any leaves on it whatsoever. It was just stalks. And, and of course, I responded in my normal, calm unexcitable way that you all love about me. I was like, what are you doing? It was beautiful. It looked great. And my wife, to her credit, did stay calm. And she explained to me that the tree had to be pruned back completely in order for new growth to take place. Now, I'll be very honest with you this morning. I thought she had gone a little overboard. thought she had gotten a little happy with those clippers. You know what I'm saying? Just... Just keep going, keep going, and eventually you've got a buzz cut, and you're like, uh, this is more than I asked for. And I looked at it, and I, and I thought, you know, the change is too drastic. And even though I believed her and knew the principle that it had to be cut back to promote more growth, it just seemed like it was, it was far too much. The Bible tells us that there are two types of pruning. There are two types of cutting back. One is is to cut away what is dead and what is hindering growth. And the other is needed to cut away to initiate growth. Now, Jesus talks about both here in John chapter 15. And his point is that for there to be spiritual maturation, for there to be substantive spiritual growth in our lives and fruit bearing, the two things need to happen. First of all, we need to abide in him meaning that there's no difference, there's no separation, there's no uh, distance, there's no differentiation between us and Him. There's just a continual refilling from Him of what we need. The first thing we have to do is abide in Him. And the second thing that needs to happen is that there will be times where He has to prune us. There are times where He has to cut back, maybe even more than we think, and maybe even what looks good, so that we can bear more fruit. Now let's read what Jesus says here in John chapter 15 to his disciples. Look at verse 1. Thank you for turning. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch. And dries up, and they gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they're burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Now, most of the study this morning, I want to just concentrate in verse 2. Because in verse 2, we see the first significant point that Jesus is making. He says, for us to bear fruit... There has to be pruning. Now, pruning is the act, and it's an intentional act, 
of removing diseased, damaged, dead, dried up, non-productive, unwanted, and, and the, the, the internet even says this, unwanted tissue from crops and plants. In other words, it is removing anything that is non-productive. Pruning is not feeding. It's not digging around and adding water. It's not supporting the tree. It is a methodical hacking away at whatever is hindering the plant from growing. Now, when this happens, as it did with my red tree, bush, whatever thing we're going to call it, I spent about 30 minutes last night trying to find out what it was, and I couldn't. So it's just, everybody, we're going to call it a tree bush, okay? You've heard of tree bushes, right? When Julie took the, the scissors to that tree, what cut away and fell, what was cut away and fell down seemed to be wasted to me because it was still vibrant. There was still color. It was green and red and it, and it looked wonderful. And it almost seemed to me to be counterproductive to, to eliminate what seems good in order to produce something better. It, it didn't seem to make sense. And yet it absolutely works. And sometimes it's absolutely necessary. Pruning is a targeted cutting away. And when it's done, and remember, this is not just about a tree bush. This is spiritual. When the pruning is done, there's nothing that's cut away that would have been beneficial to keep. And there's nothing that's kept that will be harmful to the tree. Anything that's removed is necessary to be removed if the pruning's done right. Now, that being said... There are two types of pruning or two degrees of pruning, and I'm about to really bore you with some horticultural terms, okay? Just hang with me for one more minute. Yes? Tree bush? You like that word, don't you? All right? There are two types or degrees of pruning. One is called heading back. It's when you cut the growing stem back down to the buds, where, where you're starting to see life. And by cutting back down to the buds, it stimulates new growth, and it prevents future damage. The other type of pruning is called thinning out. And thinning out is far more severe. It's where you remove an entire limb that is weak or a limb that's creating problems, and you take it all the way down to the point of origin so that you can get new growth. Now, in both of those, the, the heading back and the thinning out, Jesus talks about those here in chapter 15 from a spiritual standpoint. And he says these types of prunings are necessary because there are apparently two types of branches. We're not talking about people that, that don't know Christ or are unsaved here. We're talking about people that say, I have an association with Jesus Christ. So he says, in the people that say, I have a connection, association, relationship with Christ, there are two types of branches there. One is fruitless and one is fruitful. And his action toward each type of branch has a very specific purpose. Look back at verse 2. For the branch that is not bearing fruit, he says, he takes it away. Now, interestingly, the word prune is not used there in the first part of that verse. It is used later in the verse. But he says, for the branch that is fruitless, Jesus just removes it. Now, the reason that it isn't bearing fruit in the first place, listen carefully now because this is very important. The reason it's not bearing fruit is because it isn't attached to the vine. It's not getting any life 
or adequacy or strength from the Lord. It's actually not connected. And in that sense, it's already dead. So this is not a cruel, unfair judgment by the Lord. It's not somebody who's losing their salvation when they once had it. It is simply taking away what is already detached and has always been attached. But here's the confusing part. The phrase says, every branch in me. So what's the deal here? How are we supposed to understand this? Because it seems like he's talking about people that have trusted in Christ, but are unfaithful, and they're somehow being removed and thrown into the fire. So some people have concluded, well, this is about losing your salvation, but it's not. What we see in verse 2 is the weakness of the English language. Because in the Greek, in the original language, Jesus literally said, every branch that does not bear fruit. He did not say every branch in me. Every single person that God has created has been created in his image and has been connected to Christ simply because Christ died and he rose again. He, he identified with us by coming here. He took our sins to the cross. He died for us, and then he rose again. And he makes an offer of forgiveness, an offer of redemption, an offer of eternal life to all who will believe. So in that sense, every single person that will ever live is connected to Christ. And yet, that doesn't mean that they're one with him. It simply means they're associated with him. The best way to understand this verse, verse 2 at the start, is to realize that the fruitless or dead branches represent those people who have a superficial adherence to the vine. In other words, their relationship with Christ is in name and appearance and perception only. There's no real life. There's no tangible fruit. There's no lasting evidence that the person is identified and unified with Christ for all eternity. There's no evidence that they're receiving life and filling every day. They're just a branch that's nearby, but not connected. Now, let me give you, if you guys have the slide, thank you for, for having that. Let me give you pictures I took last night of my now infamous raspberry bush, right? This is... Uh, taken pretty close up, and you can see that while there's all kinds of great growth here and, and all kinds of things going on, that we've got some of these branches here that don't have any life to them. There's no leaves, there's no raspberries, there's nothing. If you could go to the next one, let me show you even more evidence. Here are fresh raspberries that are just waiting for my mouth, right? They're waiting for a pie or a cobbler or ice cream or now you're hungry, right? It sounds pretty good. These are all fresh raspberries that are just a while away. But look at this branch right here. Nothing's going on there. And I'm going to have to go in in that huge flourishing bush, and I'm going to have to cut out all that stuff because that one dry stick right in the middle there, it appears to be part of the plant. It's close to the plant, but it's dead. There's not going to be any raspberries growing on that branch. There's not going to be any leaves that are going to become green. There's going to be no ripeness about that. All around it, there is fruit waiting to be carried out. And yet, this branch isn't carrying any of the fruit on it. Now, that represents, Jesus says, how some people are spiritually. 
They think that they're near the vine, and spiritually they think they're okay, but they're not. And there's a presumption on the person's part that they're not only connected to the vine, but they're actually enhancing its growth and its reputation. If you remember back about five or six weeks to our first study, remember where we talked about the five kinds of fruit? Remember we were in Matthew chapter 7, and in that passage Jesus says that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Many will say, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name do many miracles? And he will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. I never knew you. In other words, it wasn't that they were saved and lost. It wasn't that they were once attached and growing and then fell away and Jesus just got sick of them and said, well, forget it, I'm cutting you off and you don't have any part from me and you're going to lose yourself. It's not saying that. He says, I never had a relationship with you. I never knew you. You were never connected, even though you thought you were, even though you thought and assumed, I'm saved because I've done great things in his name. And yet he says there's been no fruit. There's been no real attachment to the vine. Now that's sobering because we see that it's easy to fall into a delusion. It's easy to convince ourselves at some point where we're not really attached to the vine, that somehow we are. And that's just a careless assumption. And for these people that he talks about in Matthew 7, they didn't even see it while they were alive. Now we saw last week that the enemy blinds minds. And not only blinds the minds of those who reject Christ, but he is also constantly seeking to blind the minds of those who think that just saying a prayer or having good intentions, or doing a couple good works, but not living as a disciple is enough to satisfy the Lord. Being a disciple is so much more. If we're really connected to the vine, it's going to mean denial of self. It's going to mean humility. It's going to mean servanthood, and submission, and dependence, and yieldedness, and endurance, and perseverance, and trust, and confidence, and joy, and a bold, unashamed witness in our words and our actions. It means standing firm for Christ. Discipleship is not easy. Being a disciple of Christ doesn't just mean we get church out of the way once a week, we read our Bible once in a while, and there's really no fruit. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, you have to be willing to deny everything and hate everything in comparison to me. I must be your absolute preoccupation. I must be all in all. And everything that comes out of your life should reflect the fact that you're connected to me. Now, under that definition, I get a little nervous. Not that we're not saved. Don't get me wrong this morning. Don't misunderstand but, but what does it really take to be a disciple? Are we verging on that dryness? Or are we really flourishing and bearing fruit? That's really the question of the morning. Because it says here in chapter 15, verse 2, that when Jesus sees those fruitless branches, he just carries them away. It doesn't require any effort. What a contrast to the act of pruning. Now let's... 
talk about where we are in terms of our walk with Christ. Notice back in verse 2 at the end that pruning is done on the branch that's already bearing fruit. He doesn't come with the pruning shears to the branch that is lifeless and barren. Pruning isn't going to change the nature of that branch. It's not going to suddenly flourish with fruit because the true character of its nature has already been revealed. So so Jesus isn't going to come to that branch we just saw and say, well, if I prune you back, now all of a sudden life is going to magically appear. There's no life in it. It's not connected. He comes to the branch that seems fairly healthy, that you would say, "Mm, that doesn't really need a change. I didn't leave for work that morning looking at that bush tree going, wow, that bush tree really needs to be cut back. Somehow in my wife's mind, she walked out and said, you know, it's time to prune that. I never would have gone out and done that. The tree, the bush tree looked great. I'm, I'm really loving this term bush tree, by the way. It looked wonderful. It had red leaves. It was growing high. It looked healthy. It didn't seem like there was anything that was really needed. And yet she knew that it needed to be cut back. Why? Look at verse 2. So that it may bear more fruit. Now it's very interesting because the word pruning here, we would think when we think of pruning, we think of cutting. But the word in the original language actually means to cleanse. Now he's already assured us, if you look at verse 3, He's already assured us that you're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. In other words, the gospel's changed you. You're my disciples. You have been saved. But now there's an ongoing work of cleansing that's needed until we are in his presence for eternity and stand without sin, even though we're forgiven, even though we're exonerated, even though we're released from bondage, we still have sin in our lives. So in this time, until we stand face to face with him, He says there's an ongoing work of cleansing that's needed. And for you to become cleansed, I have to prune. I have to make some changes. Now, there's a tremendous amount of spiritual implication there. Because when the Lord does the work of pruning in our lives, many times it feels like a cut, doesn't it? We get a little sliced up and our life gets a little choppy and we know that, that we need to become more like Christ, but boy, it's rough. And it doesn't make sense. And we feel a little wounded. And we're like, ow, Lord, wait, stop, stop. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't keep cutting. That hurts. But it's for your cleansing. I know, I, I get that. Yeah, I know, I want to become more, I want to become like you. But, but wait a second. I have a little, little twinge of doubt that you know what you're doing. Trust me, if I had been standing there next to Julie when she cut that first tree, we would have had a discussion. Something along the lines of, what do you think you're doing? That would have been for me, by the way. So there are times where we feel that little twinge of of doubt and maybe a little resentment like, Lord, whoa, 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 hold, hold, hold the phone here. Back the truck up. What's going on? Why are you pruning me right now. And God stands there with the pruning shears and he says, you need this. Well, I don't feel like I need it. Wait, wait, I'm, I'm doing fine. What, what's going on? 
And what he's telling us here in chapter 15 is that we need to reorient our thinking. Because the purpose of pruning, listen closely now, is not to cut and wound. The purpose of pruning is to cleanse. What he is doing is he's expunging us of past guilt. He's washing what is filthy, what's clogging the pores of our faith and our obedience. He's creating us a clean heart and renewing a right spirit within us so we can be full of joy and confidence in him. We've got to get the junk out so that he can make room for new growth. Now listen, we talked about this last week. One of the enemy's most devious tactics at this point while Christ is pruning us is that we focus on ourselves and what we feel rather than understanding the reality of how and why the Lord's cleansing us. Because once he walks out with the pruning shears and he starts to make that cut in our lives and he's working to cleanse us and we say, wait a second, the enemy instantly at that point says, how do you feel about this? What, what's, what's your emotion at this point? Do you think this is fair? Do you think the Lord should be cutting back like this right now? Paul, Paul, how do you really feel? Emotions are very, very palatable, and they're very volatile, which is why we can't trust them. And this is why the work of the Holy Spirit is so profound and why we're called to yield to Him and be filled with Him because He is the only one that will keep our hearts and minds on track that what the Lord is doing right now is to cleanse you and purify you and make you like Christ. It's not to wound you and aggravate you even though that may be a net result. Paul, when he wrote to the Colossian believers... He says, I pray for you that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. It wasn't that the Colossians were uneducated. It wasn't that they were stupid. They, they weren't idiots in terms of the word. They knew the word of God. They trusted the word of God. But he says, I want you now to be filled with the knowledge of his will. Be filled with wisdom and understanding. In other words, you need to get it. It's all up here. You trust. It's wonderful. But now we need to know why. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd like someone to be praying that for me every day. And I need to be praying it for you every day. Oh, Lord, fill us with, with that sense of your will. Not just, I know Christ died for my sins. That's wonderful. But, but now, Lord, why are you doing this? What are you doing? What are you doing? Why, how are you trying to shape me and mold me and conform me to you and to become like Christ? Lord, give me knowledge of your will. Give me spiritual wisdom and understanding. Give me insight that I don't have. Because when I hit Monday morning and there's some pruning taking place, I don't want to overreact and start resenting and start doubting. I want to trust, yes, this is right. So, Lord... Give us, I pray, the knowledge of your will. What greater thing could we desire for each other? What greater thing could we ask the Lord to do than to give us wisdom and insight that everything the Holy Spirit does, whether it's trial or a joy or purging or filling, is designed to cleanse us and make us like Christ. 
Now you say, why do we need this? Look at verse 4. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you, unless you abide in me. Here's the third truth. The branch cannot bear fruit by itself. And that applies to us. This is not a question. It's not open for debate. It's not something that can be disproven. It is a fact. In gardening and in the spiritual realm, a branch cannot bear fruit by itself. If the branch is not attached, if it isn't abiding in the vine, there is not going to be any fruit. Now he ends the verse by saying the same is true of you. You cannot bear fruit by yourselves, only by being attached to Christ. So if you are separated from him, the fruit instantly stops growing and the branch begins to wither. Union with Christ is the absolute key to all fruitfulness. You can have all kinds of activity for the Lord, but still be barren. You can come to church and do good works, and I can too, but if there is no real fruit, it means nothing. There can be law-keeping without heart. There can be liberty without conscience and discipline. There can be indifference without guilt. There can be motions and traditions and assumptions without sacrifice and commitment and love. All of this is characteristic of a fruitless branch. So we have to look at the text and assess our own lives. What is my life about? Is it just activity and running around and acting the part, but, but I, I'm barren and there's no fruit? Do, do, I, do I love the law and I'm legalistic and you've got to do this and this and this, but there's absolutely no heart, there's absolutely no love? Is it I'm racing toward liberty and I want my freedom and I can do this and this because Christ has redeemed me and freed me and he'll forgive me of anything. But, but there's no sense of the expectation of God? Is it just motions? Like that branch that's sitting in the middle of my raspberry bush, fruit all around it, and it's just sitting there. No life. We know that the gospel gives life. We know that Jesus gives life. We know that salvation creates new life. John 6, 63 says, it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Life and fruit comes from unwavering attachment. If you cut a hundred branches off the vine, a hundred times out of a hundred, there will be no fruit that will come from it. It is inescapable and unfailing that if we do not abide in the vine, there will be no fruit. That's why Jesus' command here, and look at verse 4, because the first three words in verse 4 are a command. He says, abide in me. That is not to be taken lightly. The word literally means to remain and endure and continue to be present without stopping. In other words, Jesus isn't saying, have a casual acquaintance with me, drop by once in a while, make a little time for me in the 168 hours this week, 
carve out 20 or 30 minutes and will be great. He says, abide in me. And that is a, that is a uh, progressive verb. It means continuation. Not just once I received Christ and I'm good. It is a continual abiding, staying in one place without any exception and without a desire for anything else. And as he says in verse 5, here's what will happen when we do. When you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Not a suggestion, it's a fact. So the primary indication of whether we are actually attached to Christ and actually abiding him is the clear evidence of spiritual fruit in our lives. Now the question becomes at this point, is there fruit? Maybe the Lord this morning is doing a work of pruning on your life because he hasn't seen fruit for a while. Something is choking the growth. Maybe it's something external like debt or or an unhealthy relationship that you're in or a, a storage of pride in your heart that is, that is blocking fruit. Or maybe it's something more internal and spiritual, like resisting His work. Or maybe you've stopped listening to His Word and stopped listening to His Spirit, and, and, and everything's dry. There are going to be two main indications when that is happening. One is that you'll refuse to acknowledge the need for spiritual change. We must never, as believers, become blocked to the idea that God wants to promote change in our lives. I know we all hate change, but change is a fact of life, and change is something God is constantly doing in our lives. It doesn't mean he's constantly reorienting our circumstances. It means he is constantly pruning and refining us, cutting away what needs to be cut away so that we can be cleansed. But when we are resistant to that and block that and don't accept that but resist it, then the work of pruning will take place. So how do we know when we're not bearing fruit? One of the indications will be is that we don't want God to change us. The second way we will know, and this is a result of number one, is that we'll be lacking in faith and joy. There will be little to no confidence in the Lord, and your countenance will reflect that. There will be no peace No contentment, no joy. You'll be chronically dissatisfied. Spiritually, you'll be irritated and grouchy, and and everything will be off. I've seen that happen with people that have been saved 30 years. I've seen that happen with people that have been saved 30 days. Doesn't matter. When we stop accepting the fact that the Lord wants to change and prune and refine us, Then we start to lose our joy, our hope, our confidence, and our faith, and it affects everything. Listen, if the Lord is wanting to do some spiritual yard work in your life this morning, then you have to ask yourself, what kind of work is that? Is he taking away the fruitless branches, or is he pruning me for fresh growth? And while that pruning knife is very sharp and it causes some pain, the goal is greater than the pain. Let me show you the proof of that. Would you show the last slide for me? This is the tree that I came home to stubs. It's about five feet taller than it was. It's as healthy as it can be. The leaves are red and beautiful. And it's a nice spot in our yard because we don't have a lot of trees in our yard. 
Now, the day I came home looked nothing like that. It was just branches. It was ugly as sin. But the pruning was necessary to make it look like that. Because there is value in pruning. Now let's see the final evidence of this. Turn just for a minute to Psalm 92. And let's conclude. We'll just take a couple minutes here. Psalm 92. Let's see what it looks like when we're attached and fruitful. Psalm 92, verse 12. The righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still yield fruit in old age. They will be full of sap and very green. To declare, notice there's a purpose of this fruitfulness. To declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. In other words, the Lord desires spiritual growth. This is not a a, a minor suggestion that God's giving us, like you may want to think about this. He desires and demands growth from his children. But how much is that de-emphasized in Christianity at the expense of other things? I read an article last night by a pastor, and I'm not getting on the soapbox here. I just want to tell you the gist of what he said. He said that the enemy tried to tempt Jesus with three things, appetite, affirmation, and ambition. And that those same temptations are corrupting, especially the American church. We crave consumerism, that church and Christianity should be what makes me happy that I should get what I want, that should I be able to pick from the menu, that everything is made to indulge our desires. Then he said the church wants celebrity. This is the affirmation part. It it wants to be well-known and approved by others and that that becomes valuable. And when that celebrity desire becomes valuable, then we have to compromise our convictions. And he said, and then we love competition. This is ambition. We're always seeking the next big thing and the next big trend, even though the Bible says absolutely nothing about the Lord wanting or loving that for us. Here's what the Lord wants. Look at Psalm 92. He wants and expects growth and maturity spiritually, and the evidence of that is fresh spiritual fruit. Look at the verbs. The righteous man will flourish He will grow. He will be planted. Again, he will flourish. He will yield fruit. Even in old age, there will be endurance and perseverance there. He'll be full of sap. Everybody called me a sap, so now I'm good with that. Call me a sap. I want to be full of sap. Very green. You see the verbs? You see the intention of God? A righteous person is not just in name only. A righteous person is flourishing and growing and bearing fruit and they're planted and they're yielding fruit even in old age and they're full of sap. They're they're flowing. There's greenness there. Everything about a righteous person should reflect that. 
So as Jesus tells us in, in John 15, a lack of fruit is a very serious issue to the Lord. It does no good to be preoccupied with fame or materialism. It does no good for the church to be worried about cultural relevance or how many people attend on Sunday. What we are told is to live a life worthy of the Lord and to bear much fruit. And when we do that, this is the end. Jesus said, you will show that you are my disciples. I really don't care how big this church ever gets. I pray the Lord blesses us, people come to Christ, and we grow that way. But the main thing I care about is that each and every one of us, and as a church, that we bear much fruit. Because that will show that we are his disciples. It's the only evidence the world has that we are part of the vine. He who abides in me, I will abide in. And they will bear much fruit. May God help us to do that. Not only today and this week, but for the rest of our lives. Let's pray. I don't know how the Lord's spoken to you this morning. It doesn't matter that I know. It only matters that you are hearing from the voice of the Holy Spirit. And I would encourage you in whatever way he's been speaking, whether it's deadness and dryness in your life or whether it's resistance to pruning, whether the fruit is marginal at this point. I don't know. I'm not going to go through the whole list. But however the Lord is speaking to you this morning, I pray that you will right now go into his presence and say, Lord, do the work that you need to do to make me healthy and strong and growing toward maturity. The Lord takes this very, very seriously. And I pray this morning that our hearts are being stirred, that our hearts are being enlivened of, Lord, how can I be more fruitful for you? Maybe it's just our attitude toward what he's doing. Maybe it's really time to put off that sin that's holding us back. I don't know. But if you open up your hearts to the Holy Spirit right now, he will show you. And I pray you'll respond to that. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for what you teach us each and every day about your goodness and your grace and for what you teach us about your faithfulness. Lord, sometimes we feel hesitant because you do that work of pruning. Help us not to see it as a cut and a slice and a wound, but as what is necessary to cleanse us. Whether it's cleansing of the past, the things that we have done that we're ashamed of, Lord, you're releasing us from those. We don't want to become callous toward them, but you are forgiving us. You have forgiven us. You want us to move forward. So, Lord, for someone in this room this morning that's still holding on to that guilt, I pray that you'd free them of that this morning. 
Release them to grow now and have new life. Lord, for those who are resisting the cleansing, because sometimes it's painful, I pray that there would be a fresh openness to your work, seeing that it's important and necessary and wonderful so that we can bear more fruit. Lord, put your hand on our lives. Put your hand on our church. Keep us humble. Keep us dependent. Lord, we just want to bear fruit for you. We want to be your disciples. We want to spread your gospel. We want to see people have their lives changed by your mercy. Lead us, show us, and when necessary, prune us so that we can bear more and more fruit. Lord, you're so faithful and so good. You you reminded us of that this morning at your table. Pray now that we would walk faithfully with you today, throughout this week, throughout this month, the summer, into the fall, faithful every day. Help us, we pray, because we need it. Guide and direct our paths, we pray in Jesus' name.